Can you guess what the most frequent command in Scripture is? It's fear not. Fear not. And it's because God understands that fear is one of the chief reasons we're tempted to avoid real life. Life as he intended it. So if you have your Bible, would you turn with me to the book of Matthew? We're continuing this series of messages, Life Without Water Wings. And you can feel free to use your device or your hard copy of the scripture. We, we just want you to put God's word in your hands. That's a good thing. Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 22. We're doing eight messages in this series called Life Without Water Wings, where God calls each of us to take off the water wings, these flotation type of devices that we will put on kids or flotation devices that we'll put on people before we teach them how to swim, to take off the water wings and get out of the boat. And as we do this, and as I read the word of God to you, I remind you, this is the word of the Lord. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the winds were against it. We said earlier in this series that when big storms come up on the Sea of Galilee, the waves can actually reach a height of 10 feet. And it comes from the country of Jordan, the winds, and it comes in and it sweeps in and it can make huge waves. During the fourth watch of the night, so that's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshipped Jesus, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So Peter shows this great courage. He takes off his water wings. He hears the voice of Jesus saying, come, and he jumps over the side. And there's a number of reasons for that. The chief reason of which we've been pointing out and we're going to talk about later in this series is because the water is where Jesus is. But as he begins to walk towards Jesus here in the middle of the night, He sees the wind. He saw the wind, verse 30 says, and he was afraid, and he started to sink. That's why I've entitled this little talk, That Sinking Feeling. Why is it for some people, 
Fear is an energizing thing. It's not that they're not afraid, but it's an energizing thing. While for others, it's a paralyzing event. And of course, Jesus reaches out his hand and saves him and then actually scolds him just a little bit. And I would suggest both are evidences of Jesus' love for Peter. And when we are afraid and when we potentially fail, it can galvanize us to new learning, to new levels of persistence in life, but it can also produce crippling, paralyzing defeat. And so as we're taking off our water wings, as we're being invited to do in this series, and we hear God's voice come, say come, rather than the evil one's voice say jump. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. What's the difference between hearing Jesus' voice say come and the evil one's voice saying jump off the temple? We risk and we step out of the boat in order to belong and in order to engage. But as we do that at some point, we will see the wind. There'll be, some we'll, we'll, there'll be some problems. There'll be some fear. And, and there might even be some failures. Let me tell you a good news, bad news story. And it starts with this little pre-story story about good news, bad news. There's these two guys that just loved baseball. And they made an agreement that when one of them died he would come back and tell his friend if there was baseball in heaven. And the one guy dies, and he comes back, and he says, well, I've got some good news, and I've got some bad news. The good news is there is baseball in heaven. The bad news is you're the starting pitcher on Friday. The life of Joseph in the Older Testament is a takeoff in a sense of the take off the water wings and get out of the boat kind of story. And it's a good news, bad news story. And you can read it in Genesis chapter 37 through 50. Let me summarize it for you in just a very few words. Joseph is daddy's favorite. Good news. Joseph's brothers hate his guts. Bad news. Dad gives him this incredibly beautiful coat. Good. His brothers rip it up, smear blood on it, and pretend that he's dead while selling him into slavery in Egypt. Bad. He lands a job working for Potiphar. He does so well that he's promoted to be the chief guy of the household, and he ends up in charge. Good. Potiphar's wife thinks he's powerful, intelligent, and incredibly hot, and she tries to seduce him. Bad. Joseph resists. Good. She feels rejected. She lies to her husband. She calls in HR, claiming sexual harassment. Very bad. He gets thrown into prison as a result. He meets Pharaoh's butler and interprets a dream that the butler will get early parole from prison. In return, the butler is supposed to help Joseph get released. Good. The butler forgets about him. Bad. How will it end? Well, to find out, we need to go back to the beginning. So Joseph is wearing this robe. And it's a sign that everybody recognizes that he is dad's favorite. 
He's the fair-haired child. When Joseph walks into the tent at the end of the day, his dad's eyes light up. Dad knows, dad's name is Jacob. Jacob knows who Joseph's friends are. He knows all of Joseph's extracurricular activities. He's interested in them. He doesn't know the names of any of the friends of Joseph's brothers. He doesn't really care that much about what they're doing. Joseph is given by his dad a handmade robe. It's a made-to-measure robe from Gentleman 3. All the brothers get their clothes at Walmart. Every time the brothers see Joseph put on the robe, they're reminded, my dad doesn't really love me. And they die a little bit. This is a bit of an aside. Do you play favorites with your kids? We like to think they don't notice, but kids are incredibly perceptive, and they do notice. Joseph had also been given a very special gift from God, the ability to dream prophetic dreams, as well as at times to interpret dreams that God had given And at the age of 17, he is new to using this gift, and he uses it in sort of an unwise way. And it just makes his brothers even more angry with him as the dream is about them. And one day they just lose it with him. They're going to murder him, but then they decide, well, let's just rip up the garment and and make it look like he was killed by wild animals, and we're going to sell him into slavery. And so Joseph is 17 years old when he is faced with the biggest fears of his life, the biggest problems of his young life. He's penniless, he's powerless, he's friendless, he's homeless. And he is about to learn that our heart and our character are forged when life does not turn out the way we'd planned. And he's being given the opportunity by God to meet fear head on. So I want to talk about meeting fear head on. And I'm going to work it around the idea of being resilient, that God gives us the ability to be resilient when fear comes. And the things we're going to notice from this guy's life, first of all, is that Resilience and resilient people control what they can. You know, if you read any of the studies about people that have been prisoners of war or people that have been in long-term hostage situations, the ones who just passively accept their situation are the ones that are least likely to survive. But the ones who do what they can in whatever area they can go through the ordeal the best way possible. And so Joseph is a prisoner. He's in jail because Potiphar's wife falsely accused him. And it looks like everything in life is gone. But it says in chapter 39, if you were reading his story, two distinct times in chapter 39, as he goes into prison, as he's tortured in prison, we read about in the Psalms, The Lord was with Joseph two different times. 
it says this. The Lord was with Joseph. Even though he'd lost his freedom, he refused to think of himself as powerless. And he knew this because God was with him. He shows initiative because God was with him. And when we take off the water wings and we get out of the boat and the fears come because we see the wind, we need to be reminded that there's never a point ever in life where we are helpless, where we are helpless victims because the Lord is with us. The Lord is with us. The story of Joseph is a, is a long-term progression, and it takes place over 13 years. He goes into slavery when he's 17 years old. He doesn't get released from prison and go on to the next stage of life that God has for him until he is 30 years old. And so this goes on for 13 years where he's facing his fears, where he's trusting every day that God is with him. And when life doesn't turn out the way we planned, we are always presented with the opportunity to quit, to be paralyzed by fear, to become an ungrateful person. And we say to ourselves, well, the marriage is difficult, so I'm going to get a divorce. Or I'm just going to kind of give up and become a passive aggressive in the relationship. Or money is tight, and so I'm afraid to trust and honor God with my tithe the way I've been told to. The job I'm in isn't all that I dreamed about, and so I'm just going to kind of give up being faithful and committed, and I'm just going to bail. And when you are in a situation that creates fear for you when you see the wind, I remind you that God is with you. Two times, chapter 39, he is reminded the Lord was with Joseph. And you can, like Joseph, say, God, I know you're with me. Would you help me to face this fear? And there is incredible satisfaction that comes when God gives us that courage to face that fear. And when you are tempted to be handcuffed by fear or to just become passive in a situation and to give up, like Joseph, who had it really rough, the invitation is to hold your ground and say, I know and I believe that you are with me, God. Would you help me? And I believe he will. The reality is when you see the wind, you may be trembling. You probably are trembling. But you can also, at the same time as you're trembling, you can be trusting. And when you can hold those in healthy tension, trembling and trusting, that's true courage. And Jesus will take you through. Resilient people um, are also committed to their values, the values that God has instilled in them. And so Joseph is faced with this incredible temptation. Potiphar's wife wants to sleep with him. She is the boss's wife, and she can make life very easy or unbearably hard. And Joseph could have been thinking, I don't think he was, but I think 
Some people would be tempted in that situation to think like this. Where is God in all this? I'm all alone. I have nothing when I used to have everything. I'll never have what my father wanted for me, what I wanted for me, a life, a family. A slave is all I'll ever be. Why shouldn't I have a little happiness? It's not like I have anything to lose. Do you ever lie to yourself like that? We do lie to ourselves, don't we? So in chapter 39 of Genesis, he, she approaches him, wants to sleep with him, and he says definitively, no, I won't do this sinful thing. See, God will always say, That sexual immorality is any sexual activity outside of heterosexual, covenant, monogamous relationship. What that is, is just a fancy way of saying is one man, one woman, married in covenant together. And this is the environment God has created, the best environment for sexual activity, which is a great gift from him. But he says anything outside of that is long-term hurtful, and it's sinful. And this is exactly what Joseph says. He says, I won't do this sinful thing. And then he talks with her about his values, one of them being this is a sinful thing, but he also says, let me talk to you about truth, and let me talk to you about loyalty. This is a young man who shows incredible strength and courage because he has values from God built into his life. And he understands to move away from these values, despite the temptation, will destroy my life. And this is a classic example of being resilient. Later she comes back, she tries to force the issue a second time, and the Bible says... The second time, he literally just runs away. And when temptation comes, and it will, running is a very good option. And ultimately, giving your situation, whatever it is, ultimately, maybe not firstly, but ultimately, you might have to change jobs or location or friends, whatever it is you need to do to move away from that temptation that leads to self-destructive stuff. You know, some time ago, some people came to see me, and they they were on the precipice of just some really huge potential success. And we were talking, and I said to them, you know, if things go well, you will be taught how to do a 10-second soundbite for the media. You'll get media training, and they will teach you how to do a 10-second soundbite for when you're interviewed. And so I said to them, you know what I would like to do? I'd like to do a soundbite with you before you launch on this new opportunity. But I need 30 seconds. My soundbite's going to be 30 seconds. And I said to them, and I challenged them, and I said, ask God right now to help you determine your biblical values, your principles that are found in the Word of God, 
that the Spirit of God will point out to you and that you can say amen to, I agree with. And determine now, no matter what the top t- the temptation is, no matter what happens, that you will stand by those values come what may. Then whether you make millions of dollars or don't make a dime, you will be a success. Have you asked God to help you determine your values? Like, I mean, really asked him and said, what does, what, what does his word have to say about the kind of values I need to have in my life? Ask him to help you lock them into your life. Then you will be much more equipped to face your fears when they come and when you see the wind. And so Joseph stands firm and we're thinking, awesome, God's going to reward him for standing firm. Well, it's so easy to cave. And of course, what happens? He's falsely accused and sent to prison for years. Scary stuff. But here's what this young guy decided. I would rather face life with the Lord and have nothing then face life without the Lord and have everything. Third thing resilient people do is they find meaning and purpose in the storm. They find meaning and purpose in the storm. I was reading about this psychiatrist. His name was Viktor Frankl. He was from Vienna. He survived. He was in one of the Nazi death camps. He survived it. And he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meeting. And one of the things he wrote in that book was the imprisoned people there who no longer had a goal were the least likely to survive. Resilient people find purpose and meaning in the storm. So even in, even in prison, even though everything seemingly has been taken from him, even in prison, Joseph is full of meaning. He's full of purpose. We can read, if you read a story, and I encourage you to do it, chapter 37 through 50 of Genesis, he worked hard. He did his absolute best, and he would also look out for other people. You can read in chapter 40, verse 7, he, he finds a couple of his cellmates, and he goes up to them, and he asks a very personal and caring question. He says, why are you guys so sad today? Think about how easy it would have been for Joseph to only care about himself. I'm in prison. I don't get to see my dad anymore. My brothers betrayed me. I stood for my biblical values and look at where it got me. Think of how easy it would have been for him to care only about himself. And when life doesn't turn out the way we perhaps had planned and we're facing our fears, you will be strongly tempted to forget about other people. And that other people are facing fears and disappointments too. And you will be strongly tempted to just kind of begin to crawl into a little shell and only focus on your own hurts and the wind that you can see in your life. 
And what will happen is your life will begin to contract more and more and more as you only notice your own pain. And ironically, that will make the pain even worse when you just focus on yourself. Instead, Joseph said, with God's help, because the Lord is with me, I will choose to live like Jesus would live one day. And he noticed hurting people. And he takes a genuine interest in them. And he does what he can to help them. M. Scott Peck writes this. It's in this whole process of meeting and solving problems that life has its meaning. And when you see the wind and the fear comes to you, do you read the faces of the people around you the way Joseph did? So the butler and the baker explained to him they've both had a dream and uh, they don't know what it means. It's a troubling dream. And God helps, supernaturally helps Joseph to explain the meaning of the dream to them. And he says, Mr. Butler, in three days, you will be restored to your old position as butler to the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. But Mr. Baker, I've got some bad news. Get your life in order because you're going to be dead in three days. And both of the dreams come true. And the arrangement is that when the butler gets out, he will speak on behalf of Joseph that he was falsely accused and he's in jail when he shouldn't be and get him released. But it says the butler forgets about Joseph and he spends a minimum of another two years in jail after that. How did this guy face the wind and his fears And not just survive, but thrive. He worked hard. He did his best. And he said, I'm going to lean into the purpose and the meaning that God has for me. Later, he is released at the age of 30. His evident gifting from God is on full display. He's taken to a place of power where God uses him to save the nation and surrounding nations when a famine comes. And he is in a position of power, and he could exact revenge on the butler, on the brothers that later come back into his life. But he says this to them in chapter 50, even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good. And so I don't know what's going on in your life right now, but maybe you're a little bit like Peter. And you've experienced the wind, and you're afraid. And maybe you've even experienced some level of failure. Even from that, we can learn. So this book called, it had a, had a story about art and fear. And it was interesting, this ceramics teacher uh, decided to run a little experiment. And so he takes his class and he says, there's going to be two groups. And you're going to be, group A is going to be evaluated solely on the quantity of work that you produce. And so if you produce in excess of 50 pounds of pots in a set piece amount of time, your group is getting an A. If you produce 40 pounds of pots your group will get a B. To the second group, he said, 
I'm going to just evaluate you based on quality. And so you only have to produce one pot for me, but it had better be really good. Well, who produced the highest quality pot? It was the quantity group by far, because they just kept churning out pots. And as they churned out these pots, they learned from their mistakes, and they arrived at the end of the day with their 50 plus pounds of pots with by far the best looking pot. The quality group just sat around theorizing about perfection and worrying about it, almost afraid to try. So in a certain sense, no pot, no matter how misshapen, is really a complete failure, right? And it's just another step on the road to an A. And so Peter, I'm going to suggest, is in the quantity group. And when he took off his wings and walked on water, it didn't work out perfectly. He started pretty good, but it didn't work out perfectly. But in the end, Jesus saved him like he will for you and for me. And he helped him, and he coached him and said, "Uh, your faith needs some work. You could have trusted me. He learned about fear and failure. And when we take off the water wings and step out of the boat, you are going to see the wind. There'll probably be some fear that will come at you. There'll be some problems. And at times, you might even experience failure. What what then? What then? Remember that God is with you and wants to help you be resilient and face those fears. He wants you and he enables you and he calls you to be active and he will help you take control where he can, to hold on to the values that he has seeded into your life, no matter what comes your way, to find purpose and meaning in life rather than retreating into a shell. Life Life without water wings.